We did have a, a great week this past week. I'm thanking God for the cooler weather. Uh, there have been days or weeks that we've spent in uh, the Migrant Center in Davis where um, I have just wilted away. It has been so hot, and uh, not this week. It was great. I, I remember uh, anticipating the week. Some of us have gone over on occasion to play games about once a quarter. I've not had the opportunity to do that. So uh, it's usually a year between uh, my opportunities to go and see the people there. And over the years, as we've done this ministry to the migrant farm workers, we've developed relationships with some of them. And I was wondering in the days leading up to uh, uh, Monday for me, uh, just how some of them were doing. I uh, remember uh, building a relationship with Roberto, who manages uh, the uh, the center, and just how uh, year after year he has grown more comfortable with us. And uh, even to this point, when you ask him for something, you need a key, he'll just hand you his whole roll of keys. He is so trusting and so grateful uh, that we are there. There are some of the children I was wondering about, uh, children like Saul and Jared, and uh, just wondering how they are doing. And Marilyn is one, and her little sister, four-year-old uh, sister. We were walking uh, from out on the field. We were playing, uh, doing some games, and I was walking her and another friend, a four-year-old friend, to the restroom, and they were chattering away in Spanish. And I speak about four words in Spanish, and occasionally they would look up at me and talk to me, and I'd just smile and just kept walking, and they kept looking up and talking, and, and finally, and I used three of the four words that I know in Spanish. I said, no hablo español. And in perfect English, Marilyn's little sister says, you're crazy. <laughs> it was great. <laughs> I especially remember Marilyn and her little sister. I can't remember her sister's name, but I remember their dad. And I remember year after year just how sweet of a countenance he has and how great it was to see him. And I wondered how they were doing just in their life and uh, their spiritual life. I wondered about Pastor Exter, who pastors at Poline Church, our partner in that ministry. And it's always so good to see him. I wondered who his intern might be this year. He's always got somebody new helping him. And we got to meet Calvin. And uh, I got to deliver some uh, food with Calvin uh, on Tuesday night. And it was really great. Just wondering about uh, people who are far from us and people that we don't have a chance to regularly connect with. We And what we care about, we often think about. I remember spending... Uh, a short trip to Uganda. I spent about 10 days there. There were four of us, five of us who went. And our group got there years ago. And two of us, uh, well, four of us, I guess there were six of us, four of us went to the southern part of Uganda. Two others uh, headed north to a really dangerous area called Katamoja. And Katamoja is an area known, uh, there are cattle ranchers there, and often the tribes battle each other in rustling cattle. And so they will go and steal cattle. They they carry around AK-47 weapons, and uh, they'll they'll go up and literally they'll shoot other tribesmen because they want their cow. And it's a very dangerous spot. Missionaries have had vehicles shot at, and so two. Uh, some of you know Creston Freustad. She was one of them, and, and a friend of mine named Chris. And they went off to Katamoja. Now we thought we had done everything well to be in touch with each other. Chris was our most tech savvy person of the group, and before we left the U.S., this was I don't know, 15 years ago, maybe something like that. Uh, he had gotten a special SIM card for his cell phone that could be used in Uganda. So we thought. So they get on a bus, and they head off, he changed out his SIM card, and off they went. And for four days, we did not have word from him. In the most dangerous part of this particular area of Africa. And uh, we 
wondered about them. We prayed for them. We were so hungry for information from them. And the day we were supposed to rendezvous, they turned up. So we're so happy. We heard stories about getting on a bus and sitting beside chickens. And uh, as they got on the road, several miles down the road, the bus caught fire. And uh, they had to pull over and the bus burned up. And they had to get other rides to their destination. And they ended up getting where they needed to go and doing the ministry they were supposed to. And meeting the people and the Christians, the brothers and sisters in that area. And they ministered to them and were ministered to in return. But I tell you, those four days were very empty feeling. And we wondered and prayed. Wondered how they were doing. The Apostle Paul, when he writes a letter to the Thessalonian church, he he had been separated from them for a while. And he had wondered how they were faring. Because this is in a time long before text messages and direct messages, and uh, there was no Instagram, uh, no, uh, no nothing, no social media of any kind. The only way to get word was from word of mouth or from written letter. And so Paul had been torn away, literally it's the word he uses, we were torn away from you. And he he had gone on a missionary journey a second and he established this church in the city of Thessalonica in Greece. And then he had to leave, we'll talk about that in a little bit more in a moment, but he had to leave from there and he was wondering and and concerned about their spiritual welfare. And uh, he sent Timothy up to them to get word about who they are and how they were doing. And for the people that we love most and care about most and they're not around very much and people that maybe we have a hard time keeping tabs on, we we wonder how they are doing, don't we? Children who may go off to, to camp or to college or aging parents when they're maybe difficult to, to get a hold of or friends who move away. We are concerned and care about those who we don't have a chance to be around as much. The Apostle Paul was concerned for these people. In First Thessalonians, we are going to look for the next several weeks at this letter that he wrote to this church. And we're going to begin today toward the end of chapter 2. And we're going to hear the concern and the reason that he sends this letter back sometime later with Timothy. Here's what he says in chapter 2, verse 17. But brothers, when... We were torn away from you for a short time. Literally, that word is, we were orphaned from you. It's like, uh, it's almost as if Paul is communicating there. There was a sense of total uh, severing for a moment of our ability to know how you were doing. We were torn away from you for a short time, in person, not in thought. Out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you. For we wanted to come to you. Certainly I, Paul, did again and again, but Satan stopped us. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. So when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. We sent Timothy, who is our brother and God's fellow worker, In spreading the gospel of Christ, we sent him to strengthen and encourage you in your faith, so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. You know quite well that we were destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted. And it turned out that way, as you well know. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. 
I was afraid that in some way the tempter might have tempted you and our efforts might have been useless. Father, we pray this morning that you would be our teacher and guide, that your word would not be suffocated by uh, my teaching or by our lack of attention, but that we would be active and vibrant listeners. We would hear your spirit's movement among us. Be with us now. Teach us, Holy Spirit, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Timothy was uh, sent to strengthen and encourage the faith of these believers. This is one of the very earliest letters that Paul wrote, perhaps about 20 years after Jesus had ascended back into heaven. It was a church that he planted during his second missionary journey. You might remember in uh, the chapters of Acts 16 and 17, um, they were on their second missionary journey. They had gone out once. They were returning back to the churches that they had started in the various cities, and uh, they were going back to return and to encourage their faith. And they came to a particular point, and they wanted to turn up east on the map. I think we have a map here. Do we? So they, they came, you see where Philippi is? They were right up here, up there, um, the, where the, the ocean, or the, the sea goes to the right. They wanted to turn up east, but they were prevented, the Bible says, by the Holy Spirit from going that direction, and it was that moment that Paul had this vision from a man in Macedonia. That, that's the region where Philippi, Thessalonica, and Berea are, modern Greece. He had this vision of a man who was calling them to come and to share the gospel here where we are. And so that, instead of going east, they end up turning west, and Paul finds himself in Philippi. And he is beginning to see a church be, be planted there, and Paul has run out of Philippi. And uh, he's uh, asked to, to leave, and it's such a ruckus, he's arrested and thrown in jail because of his teaching about the gospel. He ends up in Thessalonica, and this is where that church begins. And uh, he is uh, uh, run out of that town as well. And uh, we're going to talk more about some of the reasons for that. And he ends up down in Berea. And, uh, he is run out of that town as well, and he finds himself in Athens, and eventually in Corinth. And it's from Corinth, we think, that, that this letter was eventually written back to the Thessalonian church. But from the time he left Thessalonica, he wondered about their faith. Because of the, the intense persecution that was happening, he wondered if they had survived, and if, if the seed of the gospel that had been planted would, would be nurtured, and it would be watered, or would it be suffocated and choked out of life. Paul was concerned about their spiritual warfare. And he says in verse 3, chapter 3, verse 3, he says, we hope that no one would be unsettled by these trials. Literally, that word is shaken or agitated by, by the trials that they were facing. And Paul knew what trials were about. Paul knew what it was to be unwelcomed in a community and to have the good news of Jesus unwelcome in a community. He knew what it was to have to sneak out at night. He knew what it was for the safety of the believers left in that city for he himself to leave and to go elsewhere. But you know, he never looked at it as a discouragement. He always looked at it as an opportunity to go to the next city so that the good news of Jesus could spread and grow. And that's exactly what we see all across the Mediterranean world. 
as Paul went, often propelled out of one city because of persecution onto the next, the gospel, not only was it left planted vibrantly in that city that he had left, but it would now go and be planted in a new city where he would come. There were loud, loud and negative responses at times to the presence of the gospel in some of these communities. Acts chapter 16 and 17, we read of his... Uh, work in Philippi and in Thessalonica and in Berea. In fact, Berea, when he got to that city, there were uh, people in Thessalonica that came all the way down to Berea in order to harass him and his message and, and the, the news that he was trying to share. And, and you find in those chapters stories of social pressure that stood against the gospel. You see legal challenges being presented and financial bullying against the church and and against the gospel. But here's the great news, and it's worth repeating, that there was a strong vine of God's presence that took root in those places. And in Thessalonica, the gates of hell did not overwhelm the church. In fact, the church grew and stood fast and vibrant even in the face of that persecution. Paul was concerned that those trials might shake them, shake them with fear and shake them out of their faith. But quite the opposite happened. In fact, the resolve is strengthened and deepened and they began to understand that too is part of the calling in Christ. As the good light of the gospel goes into the dark places where the gospel is not and there will be opposition He was concerned that they might be led astray by the devil's temptation in verse 5 of chapter 3. He says, for this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I could not stand having news about you anymore. I, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter might have tempted you and our efforts might have been useless. There are two major ways that the devil likes to work in tempting us. One is enticement. The other is in discouragement. The devil loves to work in enticement, trying to convince us that something outside of God is better than what God is offering. And so we're enticed to something that we, we assume is better. And so the devil will package things that look really good and they're so attractive and they're so shiny and pretty and, and we're drawn to it. And, and we think that if we would just pick this up and open it and, and dabble in it, that somehow it's going to bring satisfaction to our life. And what we often find is it's a trap in disguise. And, and as we open up the package, we're, we're consumed by that which we're enticed by because we think that something is bigger or something is bigger, better than what God is offering. Jesus was tempted in Matthew chapter 4. And this was the enticement the devil came. You remember how Jesus was baptized and immediately the Bible says he was led out into the wilderness by the Spirit to be tempted by the devil for 40 days. The Bible records three major temptations. Remember what they were? He he was hungry and it says, uh, turn the stone into bread and satisfy your fleshly desire. Enticement. That this hunger is not worth what God the Father says it will benefit you in the long run. And so Jesus was tempted to take a shortcut of enticement and I could just feed this hunger now and I can satisfy what I think this impulse is in me now. 
And I assume it's going to be and bring great joy for me the rest of my life. But there's a reason the Bible gives cautions about such things. In, in the days to come, we're going to talk about some of the ways Paul tells the Thessalonian church that Christian men and women are intended to live in sexual purity and holiness, not succumbing to the enticements of such things. Jesus was also tempted not just with that physical hunger, but he's taken up to this hill, and, and in a moment he's in a vision given and seeing all the kingdoms of the world. And the, the enticement there is that you, you, can, you can short-circuit a shortcut and you can get the glory that will be due your name that God knew and Jesus knew in the plan of God that it was only through the suffering and the death on the cross and the resurrection from the dead that, that the glory of Jesus would be known in the earth. But the devil says, we, we can give you glory in a different way. I can give you all of this. It was an enticement to something better, supposedly. And Jesus says, no, no. He's taken up to the pinnacle of the temple. And he says, make a public display of who you are. Throw yourself down. And it was a surefire way of committing suicide. It's such a long draw. Because the Bible says that, that God will command angels to, to protect you. And he certainly won't allow you to hit your uh, foot your head upon the rock. And it would be a public display prematurely. Of the power and the presence and the person of who Jesus was. And Jesus says, no, no. I'm not going to short circuit the things of God. But that's how the devil works in our lives. He, he works through enticement. He says, I can offer you something that's bigger than what God is offering. I can offer you some, a, a bigger plan or a vision for your life somehow. I can offer you fame. But he never talks about the cost that might come with that fame. I can put a hunger in your heart for something that takes you away from God. Because there's something bigger out here, something more important than giving your whole life and your whole heart to God. There's something bigger, there's something that's more pleasing in your life, it's bigger and better. That's the enticement of the devil in our life. But he also entices us through discouragement. Right? We, we, we are discouraged when, when we begin to forget who my identity in Jesus is. When I begin to forget who I am in Christ when I forget that, that I am beloved by God and I'm so deeply loved that God would lay His life down for me, that I am His child adopted into His family, that I am a son or a daughter and I am His, and He is mine. You see, discouragement comes into our life when we, we lose sight of who we are and what we're called to do because of our relationship with Christ Jesus. We get discouraged thinking that, that my life is not very valuable. And we can get discouraged thinking I'm not very helpful in the church family. Or I don't have a lot of gifts. Or I, I, don't, I can't do what this person does. Or, or what this woman does. Or what this man does. I, I don't bring to the table the things that I think are so important that they bring. And so we can be discouraged and, and our faith can shrivel. The Apostle Paul was concerned that somehow the devil's enticement and his temptation to them would have under, overwhelmed them and undermined their faith. But we're reminded in Ephesians, Paul would write to another church about our protection from the devil. 
In Ephesians chapter 6, the Bible says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that in the day of e- when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist and the breastplate of righteousness in place. And with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. That is our covering in the Lord. That is our covering. Paul would write it later to another church in Ephesus, but he was so encouraged. I'll give you a hint about next week. Paul was so concerned about the spiritual welfare of the Thessalonian church and he was so overwhelmed with joy at how they were standing firm and standing strong. And we're going to look at his description next week about what that looks like, about how they stood with the covering of the protection of Christ over them to thwart the devil's schemes. He was concerned that they would be shaken by their trials. He was wondering if the devil's temptations had led them astray that he would find such joy as he sends Timothy out to strengthen and encourage their faith. And when Timothy returns to the Apostle Paul, he gives them this wonderful report of how strong their faith was and how vibrant the church was. And in response, Paul sends this letter of 1 Thessalonians back to them. In verse 6 of chapter 3, he says, But Timothy has brought good news about you. We'll unpack that next Sunday. We're going to be looking in the days ahead about how a Christian should live in the world, about what is God's will for your life, in the choices that you make, in the way you live your life as a faithful, holy man or woman before the Lord, and as a witness to the world around you. We're going to look at, in the weeks to come, about the hope of not just the resurrection of Jesus, but of the return of Jesus. The Bible has promised that Jesus will return one day. There's a time when God has set in mind, we don't know when that is, but we rest assured that Jesus will come back again. And because He is coming back, that motivates our living. It gives shape and direction to uh, the lives we live now. We're going to talk about what does it mean, what happens to people who die who die before Jesus returns, and uh, will that matter? Uh, if we're whoever's living and Jesus returns, does it make any difference about how their eternal state will be and, and other topics? So that's what's to come in the weeks ahead out of the, the book of First Thessalonians. It's a great book of encouragement. It's a great book of thinking about eternal things and how those eternal realities in Christ Jesus matter in our life and living today. How are they? Next week, we're going to find out that they were doing very well. Trials, yes. 
Temptations, yes. Spiritual strength and faithfulness to God, yes, yes, yes. Father, we pray today that you might encourage us through your word, that you you would remind us of how you worked in those early churches and how you continue to work in your current churches today. Churches like this one. Churches like around Marin County, as I've been so encouraged in recent conversations with various pastors about the work that you're doing, the lives that are being touched and changed. We just pray for these churches. We've already prayed for Living Word Chapel in Novato and We pray for the other churches who are faithful to your word and faithfully encouraging men and women and boys and girls and their their response and embrace of the gospel. We pray for strength for the churches in this county. And we pray, God, for a movement of your spirit to blow through this county. We thank you for the men and women, the men and women around year 50 in Thessalonica who stood in the face of trials who had very real temptations and lots of reasons to turn away from faith and to pursue other things. But God, they knew that once you had grabbed hold of them and that they were not their own because you had bought them with a price, the precious blood of Jesus. And so Paul was so encouraged at the vibrancy of their faith. I wonder what Paul would say about our church If Timothy came today and sent back a report about how our church is doing, how vibrant is our faith, how well are we trusting you, how well are we standing in the face of trials, how well well are we allowing you to give us strength in the armor of Christ in the face of temptation. God, we want to be holy people living a life worthy of the gospel. So help us to do that, and may the words in the weeks to come from this good letter bring strength and encouragement to our hearts, we pray now. In Jesus' name, together. Amen.